So I was reading a book recently um, about, wasn't about church, but instantly it caught my attention because the opening illustration is about something that I've always wanted to see and I almost got to see one time, but I, I messed something up and so I didn't get to see it. I've always wanted to see Michelangelo's David in person. Now, we knew we'd have kids in the room, and so we're not going to show any pictures of the David this evening, and, uh, but I've always wanted to see that in person. And Angela and I, a, a few years ago, we got to have a trip to Italy together as a couple. Now, obviously, I'm from the States. You probably figured that out already. You got to understand, anytime someone from America crosses the Atlantic Ocean, they might tell you they're having a bucket list vacation. In other words, they're doing something that they have always wanted to do, maybe something they didn't think that they would get to do, but that they finally get to do it. It's amazing getting over here how close everything is and how now we can, we can jump around and visit all these wonderful different countries in Europe. And there's so many people in this city who are from so many different countries. But when we went to Italy a few years ago, it was a bucket list trip. And on my bucket list is to see the David. So we had some time in Florence planned. And uh, on the Sunday that we were going to go to Florence, the museum that houses the David was only going to be open for four hours. And so as we traveled there to try to make it in time, we got to Florence. And as I got off the train, we'd had a two-hour train ride. I looked at Angela and I said, I don't have my passport. I just left my passport two hours on a high-speed Italian train in the other direction. I said, I, I, can't, I can't risk it not being... I called the hotel frantically. I offered a 21-year-old guy 100 euros if he would meet me halfway. And he said, yes, the easiest 100 euros he's ever made in his life. I just said, I just need... I, I don't want to travel around without that. I actually couldn't check in the next hotel without it. And so I missed my opportunity to see this amazing piece of art. I don't know if there's anything that you've always wanted to see. Maybe it's the Mona Lisa... Maybe it's some, some other painting or, or some other carving somewhere that you've always had in your mind, you've always wanted to see. I always wanted to see it. I didn't get to see it. That story doesn't get any better. But I just want to acknowledge I had my chance and maybe I'll get to go again at, at some point, all right? But the David is a fascinating thing. First of all, Michelangelo got his first commission when he was 19 years old. He was invited to do a carving of Hercules. And he did it with such detail such intricacy and with such mastery that his reputation immediately began to grow. It was about 10 years later that he had the opportunity to do a carving of the David. He was given this commission. And of course, David is the man in the Old Testament who would become the king of Israel, the second king of Israel. But before he is king, he slays Goliath the giant. And what Michelangelo got in his mind, he said, okay, what the Bible tells us about David is that he killed a lion and a bear with a slingshot. Maybe he had to wrestle with his hands a little bit. That's sort of the picture that Michelangelo had in his mind. But he killed him with a slingshot. So this has to be a formidable-looking guy. So if you can get from the waist up a picture of Michelangelo's David in your mind... Know that Michelangelo is saying, I'm giving you a picture of this man before he kills the giant. He is already this strong, 
strapping young man that people would be drawn to. You can see leadership qualities in him. I mean, it's amazing. Michelangelo made that when he was 29 years old. And at the end of my talk today, I'm going to tell you how he did it. Because he actually was asked by the Pope, how did you do that? And he told him. And so if you want to go try your hand at a carving or something this week, uh, make sure you stay till the end because I'm going to tell you how Michelangelo made the David. But as I was reading this book, it's just how my brain works. I had a thought. What if we trashed it? What if I had, isn't that disturbing? What if I had made this, this is why God had me not make it in there that day. And I, just, I just thought, what if we, what if someone just absolutely trashed it? And it's, a, it's very tall. I mean, it's, it's massive. So what if someone brought a, just a trash truck into the plaza there and just completely covered it with garbage? And then what if someone else comes in and pours some awful liquid over top of the garbage and then they put some more trash on it? And this just continues over and over and over again. How many people would want to go see the David? How many people would even know what's under there? I mean, after a time, no one would even know what's there. In fact, it would get so messy and so awful that over time, people would ultimately, no one would ever go in that room. In fact, people would probably walk as far around that room as they could. And over time, people would just say, what, what is in there? I don't know, it's just a pile of garbage. Let me share something with you. Unfortunately, I think that is what has happened over the centuries to the teachings of Jesus. Underneath all that's been heaped and piled onto people who have disagreed and debated and not understood, what's, it's been so much garbage has been heaped onto the teachings of Jesus and onto the person of Christ. Underneath is this beautiful, pristine masterpiece and available life that he's made available, but an, an amazing life that he's made available to us. But so many people now, because of what's been heaped on, they just stay as far away as possible. And unfortunately, that's true of a lot of people, not just in Edinburgh, but in cities and countries around the world. We're in a city today and in a country today where only 1% to 2% of people would say that they have a relationship with Jesus, that they know Him as their Savior, that they believe in Him. Whereas centuries ago, that statistic would have been just about upside down. It would have been completely different. So what happens? Over the centuries, people come along and they heap so much garbage onto beautiful, pure, incredible teachings, the teachings of the Son of the living God, that now many people just stay away. Honestly, it's been trashed by people who debate and argue, but to be honest, it's also been trashed by people in churches who have taken the words of Jesus and they've tried to twist and manipulate them for the own sake of their own preferences and their own power structures. It's so unfortunate when that happens. And then some people, honestly, because you're so far away from the teachings of Jesus and, and understanding God himself that something bad happens in your life and now you've just been 
walking around as far away from God as possible, as far away from the teachings of Jesus as possible. And then you go through a tragedy or something and you really just misunderstand. You don't know why God would allow you to go through this kind of suffering, this kind of misery, this kind of pain. You're like, listen, I don't want anything to do with that garbage. What I'd like to do in this first talk is I want to share with you a teaching of Jesus that a lot of people who attend church know But many people who don't attend church, they have no idea that this is what Jesus offers to us. I want you to know, Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth to offer you an amazing life. Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth to offer you an amazing life. If you're a believer in Jesus tonight, I hope this challenges and encourages you, I hope that you will ask yourself the question, am I experiencing the life that Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead that I might have? And if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you don't have faith in faith in him, I hope you'll come a little bit closer tonight and maybe see that this is what he has for you and come to trust it a little bit more or maybe come to trust it all the way before the evening's through. Here's what Jesus says. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came from heaven to earth to give you an amazing life. I've called these first three talks that I'm going to give over the course of the first three gatherings that we have this amazing life. It's what Jesus offers to us. Now, the word here is abundant. If I had said and put on Instagram or anywhere else or on a banner somewhere, Jesus has come to give you an abundant life, everyone would just assume that an American preacher has shown up to tell you how you can become financially wealthy. That's not what this is about, okay? So that's why I I took the word abundant and made it amazing, okay? But I believe with my whole heart that Jesus has come to give you an extraordinary, amazing life. You know this word for life. You may have a friend that has a tattoo or someone in the room might have a tattoo with this word on it. It's very popular. It's the word Zoe. In Greek, it's the word Zoe. And what you need to know about the life that Jesus is offering is that it's all encompassing. It's all physical life, mental health, emotional health, spiritual life. It is every aspect of your life. Jesus offers extraordinary life, amazing life, abundant life is what he calls it. Having something in abundance means there's plenty to go around. At the end of our time tonight, we have ice lollies, and we have them in abundance. There's plenty to go around, all right? Jesus comes to give abundant life. In Greek, the word means beyond limits. Jesus says he can give you more than enough. He can give you a life beyond your expectation. And over years of studying the Bible, there's a few things that I have written down that the Bible says that God gives to us in abundance. I have in a, jur- I have in a journal about 10 of them. Let me just give you a few of them. The scriptures say that God is abundant in peace. He's abundant in strength. He's abundant in joy. Those are just the beginning. Now, the Bible doesn't say life will always be easy. That would be foolish because anyone with any life experience at all knows that that's not true and wouldn't believe it. But when life is disrupted... And when you feel pulled apart, torn apart, and deal with anxiety or worry or depression or grief, Jesus gives abundant peace. When you feel like you are weak or tired or worn down by life, Jesus offers abundant strength. 
He didn't come to take from you. He didn't come to hem you in. He came to set you free. And so many people have walked so far away. They've walked around the teachings of Jesus because of what's been said and done over the years that they assume that God came to make your life miserable, to just hem you in, to hold you back. But rather, He came that you might have abundant joy, abundant life, life overflowing. And most people... In this city and in cities all over the world, they would never believe it. At best, they would think it's some kind of bait and switch. But I'm telling you from Jesus' own words, he said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Let me give you a little more context of what he's talking about. The phrase comes in the middle of a teaching that Jesus is giving about himself, and he gives two illustrations. Here's something else from the scriptures. Verse 7 says this of that same chapter. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I had to look this up because we're in Scotland, of course. Did you know there are almost 15,000 farms and almost 7 million sheep, according to the BBC, in this country? That means if there's an uprising, they outnumber us and they will win. So don't let them know. There's more sheep than people here. But in Scotland, because of the rain and because of the weather, you can keep sheep, for the most part, in the same field or on the same farm and just kind of rotate things around. And there'll be plenty of grass for them. But in the Middle East, the culture that the Bible comes from in Israel, that's not what you can do with sheep. You have to move them around. The shepherds there, Bedouin shepherds. You have to move sheep around to get them from pasture to pasture so that they can have what they need, so that they can find the right flowing water that they need, so that they can find the grass and nutrients that they need. And occasionally, and especially during the time of year when there are new sheep, the Bedouin shepherds, each night they have to come up with some type of pen to keep the little ones in, and their mamas, and and the ram, whatever, to keep them all in. But they stop from moving them around for a night or two, keep them safe. The shepherd's job is to keep them safe. And they might just keep a little opening in like a a makeshift stone enclosure that they would have. And that opening would be guarded by a gatekeeper. And Jesus is telling this story and he's saying, listen, someone who comes and tries to climb over a wall that a shepherd has created, that's a thief. They're trying to take a sheep, or they're an animal that's trying to take a sheep. He said, but there's a gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper lets in the shepherd, and he's going to talk about being a shepherd in just a moment, but in the meantime, he says, I'm the door. I'm the way in. Now, there's a couple things here for us. First is this. If you're a believer in Jesus, your job is to open the door. Your job is to continually open the door so that people can come in. Not to create barriers, not to create a wall with preferences or anything else, but rather your job is to be the door to anyone, to everyone, to say you can come in. You're the gatekeeper. Jesus is the door, is one of the things that he says. Then he adds another illustration to the the story. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Listen, you were created to be in a relationship with God without any barriers. So not only is he the way in, not only is he the, the door, he says, I'm also, you can think of me this way, as the shepherd. Now, one of the things that I love doing and teaching that I won't, I won't go far down tonight for the sake of time is I love bringing in stories and mentions from the Old Testament, things that the Bible has said, prophetic things, and, and trying to tie the old and new together. And Jesus does that so well. He fulfills it all so perfectly. But I, I won't give you all the passages tonight. But Jesus is talked about as a shepherd. It was prophesied that he would be a shepherd in Micah and Zechariah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I want to give you one of the passages from Isaiah. This is talking about Jesus before he comes. It says this, See the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His reward is with him and his gifts accompany him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. One way to look at this verse is this way. Almighty God, sovereign God, creator of the universe, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, infinite power, he carries us gently as a shepherd. God doesn't want there to be any barriers between you and I. So Jesus said, you can know me as a shepherd and I will help carry you through life. I will help guide you through life. That's part of how he provides abundant life for us. Jesus never runs away from his people. He never runs away and hides. No matter what we've done, no matter what's in our past, no matter what's in our present, he never runs away and hides. So I didn't have to introduce myself to you all and say, hi, I'm Paul, I'm from America, right? Uh, you know by the sound of my voice. I didn't know that we Americans had an accent until I moved to Scotland, okay? Now, I cannot do a Scottish accent. I will not try to do a Scottish accent because for some reason it comes out Jamaican and I just don't want to do it, all right? But typically when people hear my accent in and around Stockbridge or around the city or, or wherever I'm at, they have some questions for me. They hear the American accent and they say, oh, are you here on holiday? And I love saying, no, actually, we, we live here. We moved in January. Where are you from? Well, I was actually born in Virginia, but I don't typically go back that far. I say, I'm from Atlanta in the States. I'm right outside Atlanta. Why did you move here? That's the next question. The conversation keeps going a little further. And we always answer the same way. We moved here because we love the people. The country's beautiful. The city's amazing. And so we just thought, you know, we've been pastoring and serving in the States. We prayed about this for a long time. And God led us here. And so we're starting a church. This is how we've had, we've had conversations with strangers all over this community that have gone just like this. Now, at this point, the conversation can go a couple of different ways. We're here to start a church. There's either an abrupt end, very good, and then they just leave. No one has like gotten mad or cussed me out yet. It hasn't been like that at all. Or someone might say, good for you, thank you, yes. Or they might actually ask a further question. Just a handful of times, a conversation about faith begins. Someone might say, I went to church with my granny when I was young. That's the last time I've been in church. Um, someone might say, I was raised evangelical, but I don't do that anymore. 
I've had people tell me they are agnostic or atheist. I can't even say agnostic, evidently, but no. They might say they're agnostic or atheist. In other words, they challenge everything or they don't believe there is anything. I had one guy tell me he was raised Catholic and that now he's an atheist. To which I said to him, it's because you were raised Catholic that now you're an atheist. I'm not trying to knock any of our Catholic friends. I love you. Uh, But he thought it was funny. And um, he he was pretty drunk at the time too, which was fun. I live in Scotland now. But before I will say anything to anyone about what it means to have a personal faith, I will ask one question. And this one question I have seen now multiple times over the last six or seven months has stopped people in their tracks, and I'm telling you, it shocks people. If you want to have a little fun this week, and you want to shock a coworker or someone else in the building living in another flat, I'm going to give you a question that absolutely shocks people. I've had people trying to tell me how much they know about faith and why believing in God is worthless or untrue. Or all, and I asked them just one question. When was the last time that someone told you God loves you? I've seen it stop people in their tracks. They weren't expecting that. They were expecting me to begin to argue and debate. Maybe let's go into the origins of man and creation. Let's go into all the different conversations on sexuality and gender. Let's ask questions about anything and everything. They're expecting the debate. And you know what? I will happily have the debate. I will answer the questions. If you see me sitting in fortitude or if I've done something wrong and I'm in Starbucks or if you see me in some type of cafe and artisan roast or anything in this city and I'm not there talking with someone already, you are welcome to sit down and ask me any question that you have about God. It's open. But we're going to start with one question. When was the last time somebody told you that God loved you, that you are loved by God? For some people, that's their very question. It's like, well, if he's a God of love, then why did I go through this in my life? And I understand that, and we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about it from this platform. We'll talk about it personally. I just, as long as you understand the premise of the question is that he is a God of love and he loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make you, make him love you less. You have been loved by God since before you were born. You were made in his image. He has plans and purposes for your life that go far beyond what you could ever come up with on your own. Even and especially If you think you have committed some terrible and awful sin, and you may be right, and you have some shame or some guilt or whatever it might be, you've experienced some kind of setback, I want you to know you are loved by God. And I want to do just a quick summary of one Old Testament story. And because the kids are in the room, I'm not going to go into detail, okay? But most of the adults in the room and even the older teenagers, they know the story of David and Bathsheba. You know the story? David is immoral and has sin with Bathsheba and then in order to cover it up he has her husband killed Bathsheba gets pregnant from their time together and David fasts and he prays he asks God not to take the baby because of his sin and unfortunately the child doesn't make it but then Bathsheba they actually stay together and Bathsheba gets pregnant again 
And the predominant name that we know of their second child is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. But did you know that Solomon actually has another name? David never called him, but God called him. When Solomon is born, here's what God says to David through the prophet. Scripture says this, 2 Samuel 12, 25. The Lord loved him and sent a message through Nathan the prophet who named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Did you know Solomon's other name is Jedidiah? You say, what's the big deal? What does that name mean? That name means be loved. Jedidiah means be loved. David Bathsheba, I know you made some mistakes. They're going to make movies about you and write stories because of how crazy your circumstances are. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to feel like everybody knows about it because they do. But I want you to know from God, there's nothing you can do to ever make me love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. I love you fully. Yes, there are consequences to sin, to the mistakes we make. But I want you to know you're loved. So I'm sure that God called him Solomon at some point. But God also called him Jedediah. Beloved. What does God want for your life? So many people have stayed out of the room because of what's been heaped on it. They don't even know. What's God want for your life? He wants you to be loved and to find your purpose in a life given to him. I don't know if you knew this, but we're sitting in a theater that's named after the owner of this building, Peter, who's here somewhere in the, in the building. He's been here making sure everything's working well tonight. It's named after one of his close friends. It, you are sitting in the Sir Ian McKellen Theater. That's where our church meets. So who is that? Let's just say Gandalf. He's done a lot more than that in his life, but, but it, we're sitting in Gandalf's theater, Okay. But even before I knew that we would be in here, and I'm not doing it because we're in here, I, had a, I heard an interview that Ian McKellen gave to some guys down in England a few years ago. It was on the Three Little Words podcast. You can Google it if you like. I listened to the interview several times this week because I wanted to bring it back up. You know, people greet each other in different countries or even different regions different ways, right? Different terms of endearment. Some parts of the world, you're darling. Other parts of the world, you're mate. If you go to the U.S., you might hear, hey, bud, or hey, friend, which is also a great thing to do if you can't actually remember their name, but you're trying to be nice, you know. Hey, bud, how you doing? Name's not bud. I know, I know. It's good to see you, friend. You know, that's how that works. Ian, Ian McKellen's telling a story of a time he was down in Manchester, and as he tells the story, he says, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford the train fare, you get off the train. If you're lucky to be enough to be able to afford the cab fare, you get off the cab. And he said he sat in a cab at one point in a big, burly Manchester Brit turns to him and says, where are you going, love? Where are you going, love? And sir... Ian says in the podcast, he says, imagine a world where everyone just called one another love, including the two biggest of burly men. And the moment I heard that podcast, I had one thought. 
Let me share it with you. God looks at the entire world. He looks at you. And he says, hello, love. Good morning, love. Good evening, love. The God of the universe, powerful and mighty and sovereign, he wants to pick you up in his arms and say, hello, love. Most people, including some of you, are so far away from the teachings of the scriptures, you have no idea that the God of the universe came to give you life and he calls you love. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm sure you have your reasons. Maybe you've just never thought about it. But maybe you have reasons that are intellectual or logical. Maybe you've been mistreated by someone, abused physically, mentally, emotionally. Maybe even, I hope not, but maybe even by somebody in the church. Maybe you walked into a church some, at some point in your life, even when you were younger, and someone treated you with scorn. Listen, in a lot of faith traditions, people are trying to measure up. They're trying to work their way to God. But can I just tell you, you cannot do enough good things to work your way to God and be accepted by Him. You are already loved by Him. You have nothing to prove. Nothing to make up for. You are loved. God loves you because that's just who He is. And you have nothing to prove. God loves you because He made you in His image from before your first breath until now. He has loved you and He will continue to love you. God goes first when it comes to love. There's no like awkward dating period. Did you have that with your significant other? Do I ask for his number? Do I ask for her number? Who's going to go first here? Wouldn't he, would he just please get, ask for my number? I'll give it to him. You know, maybe some of the girls are thinking, what's taking this guy so long? Can I just tell you, God goes first. He initiates love when we are not even thinking about him. It says so in the scriptures. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, why is the Bible calling me a sinner? That seems so mean. Well, that's how we all start out. We're all sinners. We're all born separated from God. That's why Jesus came, to fix that separation. What does sin mean? Do you know the word sin is an archery term? It means you pull the bow back, you pull the arrow back with the bow, and you shoot it at the target. Unless you can get a perfect bullseye, you can miss the mark by this much, or you can turn around and you can shoot in the other direction. Both are sin. It means to miss the mark. Nobody can be perfect. That's why Jesus came. Because he was the only one who could come and be a perfect sacrifice. God goes first. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Once you see those words, will not perish, it means that you will not be lost to God. Think of it this way. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not be lost to God. Because God is a good shepherd. He comes for His sheep. Even if there's just one missing, the Scripture says, He comes after the one. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. It's the most subversive truth in all the world. Even when we make ourselves his enemy, God 
loves the world. Even when we choose to live our lives out of his will, even when we are rebellious, when we are sinful, when we fall short, he loves us still. No one loves you like this. And when you accept it, when you believe it, it becomes the basis for everything else in life. And it's why I wanted to do the first talk for Take Hold Church on the love of God. Because we are working from love, not for love. We have moved to this city to say to people, you are loved by God. Outcast, marginalized, impoverished, are so wealthy they don't think they need anything at all. You are loved by God. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. And the Bible says anyone who believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. What does that mean? Adopted into his family. Saved from life without him. Saved from eternity without him. Not lost to God, but saved. It's the foundational starting point It should be the foundational starting point of every day for a Christ follower, but it's the foundational starting point for every single person and their relationship with God. What does he want for you? He wants you to be loved by him. Oswald Chambers, the great Scottish writer, says it's really the last thing that Christians completely understand. We don't fully embrace it and understand it until one day we're in eternity with him. But we're going to try. We're going to try to understand what it means to live a life from perfect love, to be loved by a perfect God. And that's why we're here, to proclaim to this city that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He has purpose and plans for your life. And if you follow him, you will discover an abundant, extraordinary, amazing life. And then what? The Pope asked Michelangelo, how did you make the David? The answer is historical, legendary. Michelangelo turned to the Pope and he said, well, I just chiseled away everything that wasn't David. man that could see a rock and get a picture in his mind. He said, I chiseled away everything that wasn't David. What's the Christian life? Chiseling away everything that's not Jesus. And it takes the whole of our lives. Until we get to the point where we can say, as the Apostle Paul says in the Bible, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we journey together as a church family, my hope is that many people will come into this room and discover that they are loved by God and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And as Christ followers, I'm going to do my best to teach. Others are going to teach. We're going to do the best we can to follow Jesus, to follow this word, to follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. And we're just going to keep asking God 
Just chisel away everything that's not you. Remove all the garbage. Remove all the refuge until the masterpiece is once again all that people see. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite Sam and Aaron back up. They're going to close us with a song. So at the end of every service, I will explain something, give you an opportunity to maybe just make a decision in your heart to let us know, but also to give the person who's here as a believer just space to deal with God, to talk to him, to pray to him. But at the end of every service, I want to make sure that everyone in the room understands this. God loves you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. And even though you were born separated from him, just as I was, Jesus came and died to bridge that gap so that you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Say, how do I do that? In prayer, in your own words, from your heart to his, and there's no secret prayer or secret anything in the Bible, it sounds and looks different for every single person who comes to faith in Scripture. It looks different for every single one of them. It's going to look different for you because you're you. It's only that you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you be saved, that you say to God in a prayer from your heart to his, God, I believe that you love me and that Jesus died on the cross for me. So God, I want a relationship with you. I give my life to you. Help me know what to do next. Some version of that. If that's you, and you pray right now from your heart to God's, the Bible says you become adopted into God's family, a son or daughter of God. And we'll share with you at the end what your next steps can be. For the people of faith, child of God who are already in the room, what difference would it make for your life tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday if you would live your life from love instead of for love? You have nothing to prove. You are loved by God. God, I thank you for the privilege it is to be here in this city and to be here with these people, new friends and old friends. God, I pray that you would work things in our hearts and lives by your spirit that only you can and will give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.